good issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops, in which I'm talking to author and editor Liz Rosenberg about Louisa May Alcott. Alcott, as you probably know, wrote the perennially popular Little Women. She was a self-described women's rights woman and an essayist. And Liz has recently edited an excellent new book out next week, which is called A Strange Life, Selected Essays of Louisa May Alcott. As you'll hear, I loved it and I thoroughly recommend you give it a read. Coming up, you'll hear me talking to Liz about hippie communes, civil war nursing, paddling your own canoe and why I will probably never forgive Amy. But before that, I just want to remind you that if you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. Give us a five star review at Apple Podcasts, share this podcast on your social media, or if you're feeling especially generous, you can support us using your actual pounds and pennies at our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks. Welcome to Standard Issue, Liz. Thank you ever so much for joining us. What is it that first drew you to Louisa May Alcott? You know, I think it's because my mother gave me a copy of Little Women. Yeah, I think that's probably quite a common answer, isn't it? Yeah. And the other thing, though, that I find kind of interesting is that Little Women was certainly one of my top favorite books as a child. But another one of my favorite books, strangely enough, was called Louisa May Alcott, Girl of Old Boston. So it was a child's biography of Alcott. And I think I just knew from the beginning that I was interested not only in her work, but in her. I've got some friends in Massachusetts. So in three or four visits that I've been over there, I've been on the full Louisa May Alcott tour that you can go on. You know, and her life is so interesting. So really, really interesting. What really struck me going back to read your book, I think I'd forgotten that she was a writer. I just got to the point where I thought she was a really interesting woman. I hadn't forgotten that she was a writer, obviously. But, you know, she was so many other things that I knew about. She'd had that. And we could talk about all of this. She'd had that crazy upbringing. You know, she'd nursed in the Civil War. She was a spinster, which is really interesting to me as a spinster myself. But I forgot. What an absolutely beautiful writer she is. Really, really beautiful. Yeah. I know. And I honestly do believe that in some ways she is at her very best in these essays Mm. because she doesn't have to do any preaching at all. You know, as gorgeous as Little Women is, every now and then she's just got to march Marmy into the room to lecture us all (laughs) on patience and goodness and, you know, what have you. And because she's not writing for children here, I don't think she was feeling the same constraints. You're getting her voice pure. You're getting everything that she had in her that was so glorious. Comedy, tragic comedy, and her compassion for people. And it's just straight on. My favourite of these essays is the extract from Happy Women. I'm going to read it out because I feel like it's the anti-Jane Austen. It starts with the (laughs) words, One of the trials of womankind is the fear of becoming an old maid. To escape this dreadful doom, young girls rush into matrimony with a recklessness which astonishes the beholder, never pausing to remember that the loss of liberty, happiness and self-respect is poorly repaid by the barren honour of being called Mrs. instead of Miss. 
That's incredible. Isn't that glorious? And you know that was published on Valentine's Day. Was it? Oh, my God. I love she that She was so asked to write a piece for Valentine's Day, and that's what she wrote. I mean, I love it. How on earth do you go about editing work like this? Yeah, it's not as hard as you might think. In some ways, it's like a secret guilty pleasure because, you know, as we're reading anything, I think in our mind, well, especially if you're somebody who also writes or has also edited or teaches any of those things, you are mentally editing even as you read just a little bit. And so it's almost as if you had this incredible banquet that you're serving, but you get to choose the very best fruit and the most perfect veggies, you know, and and it's sort of like that. You just kind of get to figure out how to cut to the chase. So maybe it should have been more painful than it was, but I I did not really find it that way. And let's start at the start. So we were just talking about Fruitlands, which I've been to, which is a commune. How would we describe Fruitlands? You you tell the listeners what Fruitlands was and, and what Louisa May Alcott's association with it was. I suppose it was, uh, you know, a 19th century version of a hippie commune, right? That would be the closest that you could come. But if you could imagine the most dysfunctional commune possible, that is the one that Bronson Alcott and these two British admirers of his put together. So it was on a sort of really pretty, I don't want to say barren, but extremely isolated plot of land, as far away, as a matter of fact, as the the sort of chief uh, British partner he had could get it, right? Because they could have actually moved to a space near Concord where Alcott lived and had friends. But his British compatriot really, in a number of ways, wanted to isolate Bronson Alcott and kind of have him all to himself. And so they went to this sort of obscure very remote kind of farm area. And, you know, there they collected, as Alcott says, you know, the greatest collection of lunatics (laughs) imaginable. You know, his friends all kind of mostly stayed away. Emerson was very opposed to the plan. And, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson was probably Bronson's very best friend. Bronson, of course, is Louise's extremely eccentric, if lovable father. And so they all, you know, the whole family just packed up and moved to this place. And, you know, when they arrived, there wasn't even any furniture. They slept on the floor. Were they shakers? No, the shakers were the well-to-do folks (laughs) down the road. They were the people who had their act together. This was a whole different kettle of fish. They were so dedicated to their principles, for instance, that they tried to make do without plates or utensils. There was one man there that she described as uh, he was basically a nudist in belief. But, you know, the consociate people wouldn't actually agree to that, you know, full (laughs) frontal nudity. So we were kind of white linen poncho, which Louisa Malcott described as giving him a faintly bridal look. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about feminism, because feminism is something that Obviously, it didn't really exist in the sense of how we know feminism now. So I'm always reluctant to apply the words feminism to someone retrospectively. But there's a bit in those hospital sketches essay I've got here 
it seems so modern. It really does. There's a bit where she says, I'm a woman's rights woman. And if any man had offered help in the morning, I should have condescendingly refused it, sure that I could do everything as well, if not better, myself. My strong-mindedness had rather abated since then, and I was now quite ready to be a timid trembler if necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she has a really forward-looking, modern attitude to being a woman. It's it's so interesting. Absolutely. Would you call her a feminist? I would call her what she called herself, a woman's right woman. Yeah. um, She was so far ahead of her own time that she is still ahead of ours in that sense she had a sense of human equality and that included racial equality and equality between the genders that it it far outruns anything that we really enact even today so she came by it honestly by the way her mother was very, very strong on women's rights. And when she was, I think, in her 70s, somehow she was asked, because there was talk, there was talk in Louisa's time about women getting the vote. And her mother said, if my daughters have to carry me down, I am going to cast my vote. And Louisa was, in fact, the very first woman in Massachusetts to cast a vote on anything. It happened to have been a rather small election on the right person to head the school board or something. But man, she was standing there at the head (laughs) of the line and she did it. She was the first to cast her vote. So there's no question that her parents believed in that, especially her mother and that Louisa in turn did. Yeah. Her books are just full of it. Absolutely full of that focus that women are at least as capable as men and often more so. Given that she never married and given yeah. that she had really strong feelings about how women were perfectly able to live without men, what yeah. comes through from reading these essays is this, that she absolutely yeah. loved men. Oh, she did. You know, the old-fashioned view of feminism, that it was it was about being anti-man. She isn't. She's really pro-men. Right. She loves men's company. She's really, really into men on a non-romantic level. She was far more comfortable with men than she was with women. And she said that. She said, you know, I've always felt like a boy. I've always regretted that I wasn't born a boy. I think for Louisa, the big difference is she really liked boys. And let's not twist that, right? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) In any kind of modern sense. But what it really meant, I think, was that she loved male energy when it was at its most innocent and impulsive Mm. and brave and daring. And so kind of instead of having a traditional romantic partner, what she had was a series of these kind of adopted young men. She did literally adopt her own nephew at one point, in addition to her niece. That's lesser known. She did that mostly so that he could take care of her estate and be the executor. But she even has an essay called My Boys, And she goes through each one of these young men that she had known and loved in her life. So I think that's probably another reason why she's so successful at writing for young people, because there was part of her that truly stayed young forever. And, you know, I think her sense was as boys become men, that's that's when the problems kick in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
That's when they become somewhat less than women. Mm. Yeah. And that's probably why she was so comfortable being around soldiers in the war, because they were demonstrating those qualities that you've just listed, you know, bravery, all of those things, impulsiveness that that young men show, even if they weren't young men anymore. It's terribly moving, a lot of that essay about... She saw some horrible, horrible, horrible things. There's another really succinct statement that she makes about amputations that is awful it's really really dark given that she had so much wit about her it's a really dark statement that she makes about having to watch you know amputations and how terrible it was no it's incredible isn't it that she had to assist at these amputations and she had virtually no experience in nursing really i mean she had nursed her own you know dying sister and we we know something about that story if we've read little women Mm. right um, we know the story of Joe nursing Beth, but, and Louisa had done that with her younger sister, Betty, and she practiced, you know, rolling bandages, which, which ain't a whole lot of practice that's <laughs> no. going to apply when, <laughs> when you're standing next to the bucket into which the limbs are being dropped. Yeah. So, yeah, fast learner. I'm so fascinated by the American Civil War because there are so many different elements to discuss of it. The Alcots were abolitionists for generations, weren't they? Yes, they were. So she didn't ever marry. What do you think the true cause of that was? She had, as they say, her chances. She was proposed to. She described a strange little man in the cars who was very taken with her and proposed. And she wrote him the most hilarious little note of refusal. I, I wish I had it right at hand, but I, I don't write this minute, but I included it in the biography that I wrote about Alcott. And uh, she consulted her mother first and said, now I know if I marry this man, the family will be more comfortable, right? There'll be some money coming in. Mm. And the mother said, do you feel you could care for him? Louise's answer was not really. And the mom said, then you'd better say no. So I think there were probably quite a few of those people actually in the essay about her work as a nurse in the Civil War. It's pretty clear that that young doctor had a thing for her Mm -hmm. whenever she would sort of wake up from this typhoid pneumonia that she had. She was in almost a dream fever state. She would see she called him this little doctor, kind of on his knees in front of the fire, coming by to make sure she was all right and wanting to take her on walking tours of, you know, Washington, D.C. What I find funny is the next thing you hear about, she is now working on the night shift. Yeah. I find that very interesting, you know, she's sort of like, you're a very nice fellow. I'm seeing an awful lot of you on the day shift. Maybe I'm going to see what it's like on the night shift now. So She visited her older sister when her sister got married and she looked at the household and she said, all very pretty, but I'd rather paddle my own canoe. Too right. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Eventually, we get to Little Women. And I wanted to ask you, what, what do you think the magic of Little Women is? Why do you think that every generation of young girls picks it up and finds something in it? 
and wants to make a film of it. You know, every 20 or 30 <laughs> years, we get, we get a new version like of it. It's a bad film of it, actually, I, yeah. I've never seen one I liked, I have to say. I've never seen a, a version of Little Women that, I, that really grasped it for me. Have you ever seen the oldest one with Elizabeth Taylor playing Amy? Yes. I can't, even now when I think about it, the fury that I have with Amy when she burned that work. And I will never recover from the anger that I first <laughs> felt with course. her. Of course. That's part of its appeal, isn't it? That the heroine, because Joe is clearly the heroine, the heroine goes into an absolute fury when her younger sister burns her manuscript. And not only that, that but she then goes on to hold a grudge. Yeah. And there's something just so absolutely human and believable mm. about that book. And the person who published it sought her out. You know, he was the man, after all, who was sitting quietly in the room when a famous editor read one of Louise's great essays and said, Miss Alcott, stick to your teaching. You can't write. Her future editor was sitting there literally sitting next to that editor when that conversation took place and when that essay came in, I think he never forgot it because many years later, he basically kind of found a way to bribe the whole family. He said, I'll publish a book of all of Bronson's writings, which, by the way, were pretty close to unreadable. (laughs) If Louisa will write this book for girls, and the reason he wanted a book for girls was because there was suddenly this new huge commercial market called the Oliver Optic series for boys. And her editor was smart enough to think, hmm, you know, if boys are getting this excited about, about books for them, I'll bet there are girls who would be equally in love with books that are written for girls. And so it was sort of a bribe. You know, if you don't do this, your dad's work, it's not going to get published. And if you do, then it will. And as usual, Louisa sacrificed, you know, just about everything, her whole life to help take care of that family. Yeah. And so, and so she did. But, you know, you think about that opening line of Little Women. It's so famous, right? Christmas won't be Christmas without any presents. Yeah. And she's grumbling. Joe is grumbling. She's complaining <laughs> in the very first line of the book. Who could not love that? It's not your typical Christmas story, is it? No. It's, it's the honest truth. If you're poor and you're deprived, you know, you're going to say, the heck kind of Christmas is this? You yeah. know? And dad's not here. And as it turns out, they're giving away their Christmas dinner to the poor because, of course, Marmy is going to step in and do her quasi-religious, good Christian thing. And she was a wonderful human being. She was one of the first social workers, certainly in the city of Boston. But, you know, it's just the truth of it. It's the truth of it. And that's what she said. She said, I don't see why anybody will want to read this book. And I've never really hung out with girls. I've never known much about girls except my own sister. But she said, we lived it. Mm. We lived it. I think that's the power. Yeah, I have to say, I went through phases in my life where I identified with each one oh, really? of the sisters, but at a time, obviously not, not all four at once. And the last one, the last one I liked and identified with was Joe. Oh, Joe was scared. That's really interesting. 
It's not funny. Yeah. The first one I wanted to be, and this will tell you what kind of a death witch I must have had, was Beth. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wanted to be the little household saint. And then I got over that. And I, I suspect I moved on to Meg because she's so sensible and kind. Yeah. And then I actually went for Amy because at least she was, you know, stubborn and lively. And and then finally I said, you know what? Come on. Look at Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Joe has been here all along and she no longer scares me. That's funny. What did you love about it? What did you love about the book? I think as well, because she was a sort of the, the more boyish and I was the more boyish of me and my sister. I was the one that, that was more likely to sort of climb a tree or get in trouble or do something that wasn't supposed to be doing, even though I was younger than my sister. If if one yeah. of us was going to do something idiotic, it was likely to be me. <laughs> so I, I suppose Joe was a bit more sort of, she was the more forceful. She was, she was the, the sort oh, of driving sure. personality. And she wanted to write, which I which I really, really wanted to do. I think part of what I, what I loved about Little Women is the copy that I have of it is my mum's copy of it. So I did feel like it was like a great handing over. It's like, it's yes. quite battered, my copy of it. Yeah, I still have the copy my mom bought for me and it's inscribed from her to me. And I think that made it very much, I think it is actually very much a female's book. And I think one of the things that's so great about it is that it deals with the sort of schism between male and female. I find it so interesting that Joe has a boy's name and Laurie, who's the main male character, has a girl's name. Yeah. I think she was just doing all kinds of things in that book. Yeah. But I know what you mean about the sense that, you know, there's something, somehow a thread that's going through the family and connects, yeah, yeah, maybe especially to the mother, because of course, for Louisa May Alcott, her mother was the centering, central, yeah. emotional fact of her life. Yeah, yeah. Now you've also you've written a biography of of Louisa May Alcott. You've also written one of Ellen Montgomery, who wrote the Anne of Green Gables books. Yeah. Which I have to say, I didn't do so much reading of, but a friend of mine is utterly obsessed by them, just love them. Who do you think is doing that sort of writing for girls now? Probably one of the closest is Jeannie Birdsell, is her name. And she wrote The Penderwicks, which honestly, quite openly echoes Little Women. It, it does, in fact, have four sisters and a sort of hapless father and this sort of lost boy who lives next door to the summer place that they rent. But but then beyond that, it's quite different. And she's written other things that have that kind of, I don't know, just that spirit of truth and sweetness at the same time. But it's not like a sugary mm. sweetness at all. It's just cutting to the heart of character. I think there are probably many, but that's the first one that came to my mind. Do you know the Penderwicks? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any children. They're probably friends of mine that are going, what? Yeah. Oh, I've never stopped reading children's books. Honestly. I mean, they're my favorite books. It wouldn't matter if I had children. I mean, I do have children. And in fact, my daughter absolutely adored the Penderwicks. But basically, especially when they were young, probably in rebellion. They were not great readers. 
it didn't matter to me. I just went on reading children's books, reading them children's books, of course, because that was like breathing. But give me the choice and I will probably choose a great children's novel over a great adult novel every time. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there are certainly things that kind of blur the boundary that I'm never quite sure whether they are for children or they are for adults because I read them at an age that I was quite... Such as what? For example, To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't... I mean, who who is To Kill... I'm not sure who To Kill a Mockingbird is for, but I read it when I was about 10. And because she was the same age as me, it felt like a children's book. But now, you know, reading it as an adult, you're like, wowzers, it's not really a children's book. But (laughs) equally, Jane Eyre I read quite young. Um, Yes. And I'm not quite sure if if Jane Eyre is is for teenage girls or who's... I'm not sure who it's for. When I read it when, when I was younger, it felt like it was for me. And when I read it now, it also feels like it's for me. I think the great children's books grow with us. I think that's one of the tests, actually, is you can go back to it and not only still love it, but keep finding new things in it, keep finding different layers, different kind of entrances Mm. into the book. So I, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think Charlotte's Web, I mean, I would just say that's the great American pastoral novel. Oh, it's lovely, Charlotte's Web. Yeah. so beautiful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. My sister's called Charlotte as well. So, yeah, we like to extra for that as well. Yeah. <laughs> this has been really, really interesting. Thank you so much. A Strange Life, Selected Essays of Louisa May Alcott is out soon. Thank you so much for your time. This has been really interesting. Thank you, Hannah. It's been a pleasure. Standard Issue. For all women.